Amen. I've enjoyed service so far. Great, great Bible study. Um, great worship music. I hope you really enjoyed the atmosphere and made the use of it. Amen. That's powerful. Good, good music is a blessing. And it also helps if you have a good voice too in addition. Amen. It's powerful. Wonderful, wonderful. Wow, all too soon. It's the last weekend of April. April has run real quick. I can't believe. After um, this, this weekend, we are entering into the first week of May. I want to believe that you have really enjoyed the fourth month of the year. Amen. Uh, we trust that it's, it's going well. All right. Last week, we continued our series on His Church, The Church. Um, <laughs> I, I really lied when I said I was going to finish this month. I can't finish this month, unfortunately. Amen. Uh, but we'll, we'll do our best. We want, we want to take our time to really exhaust the topic very well. And I, I really think sometimes understanding should precede um, your message being governed by timeline. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. Thank you that your word will minister to your people in simplicity and in clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my slides are ready, but unfortunately, I seem to have a problem sharing, so don't worry. I'll, I'll send the slides, okay, at the end of the service. I want to believe everybody had the slides last week because I did send it out to everybody. Amen. So just just follow along and pencil down as much as you can. But I'm going around very fast and you can just listen and then I'll give you the notes. That's the slides and then uh, you follow through. Amen. So um, we, we are dealing with the ministry gifts that Christ gave to the gathering of believers. And you and I have established that the gathering of the believers is the church. And Christ gave this, these gifts to the church upon his ascension. And when we are talking about ascension here, we are not talking about when he left to heaven. We are talking about when he came from the lowest parts of the earth to resurrect him from the dead. That's ascension in this context. So, so far, we've been on a journey. We established the fact that ministry gifts, or what is popularly termed as the fivefold ministry, are not the only gifts. We looked at at least 21 of them, and there are more if we should even do an exhaustive study. You know, just last week, I was just sitting down trying to calculate on the top of my head. And, and there were more, honestly. But the least, that what I want to say is that at least there are at least uh, 21. And so all of us have gifts. Amen. It might not be a fivefold ministry, but one way or another, you do have some gifts some capacity, some ability, which God has called you into. Uh, we went ahead to define the apostle, and we looked at 10 features of that gift. So last week, we established the fact that apostle is from the Greek word apostolos, which means a messenger, one who is sent forth or who is a delegate. And we went ahead to also look at the expansive and evolving role of the prophets, and we had, we had to stop at, the, at under the Old Testament due to the brevity of time. So today we want to continue and start from under the New Testament. A prophet, as I said last week, in Greek writings are known as interpreters of 
oracles or hidden thing? And what's an oracle? Oh, what's an oracle? An oracle is uh, more like an ambiguous statement. Amen. So sometimes a thing that is coded can be defined as an oracle. Something like a dream could be that. And uh, you, you see most of that even in the Old Testament. People like Daniel, they were able to interpret dreams and interpret even writings on the wall and, and stuff like that. So um, that's it. Joseph operated prophetically, but he was not a prophet. He was able to interpret dreams. That's also one, one strong feature of the prophetic. See, Joseph could flow prophetically, but he was never a prophet. Amen. He, was, he wasn't like Daniel. Daniel. Daniel could interpret dreams, but he was actually a, a real prophet. Amen. So they are basically God's spokesmen. And of all that we said about the office of the prophets under the Old Testament, their main function was to foretell of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. That was really their, their main function. Hence the last 17 books of the Old Testament. The last 17 books of the Old Testament are from, from Isaiah um, to Malachi. Amen. And it's made of five major and 12 minor. And why are they called major or minor? They are called major or minor due to the volume of their books. That's it. Amen. So sometimes I wonder when people want to call themselves, I'm a major prophet. Amen. Anyway, let's now look at the office of the prophets under the New Testament. So, who is a prophet under the New Testament? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 77. I think I should read this one. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 77. I want you to see something right there. Because this is the first time the word prophet is being mentioned in the Bible, and I want you to uh, take note, particular note of that. And this was Zachariah who was christening his son. Zacharias, I'm sorry. Zacharias was christening his son. And his son was by the name of John, who later became known as John the Baptist because he preached uh, messages that brought people to repentance and he baptized them in that motion. So Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 77, I read. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. So this is Zacharias. He's prophesying upon his son. Because Zacharias was a priest. His wife was Elizabeth. You will be called prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. So you see why I say that the office of a prophet is a very evolving rule. You know, so why was John called a prophet here? John was called a prophet here because he was supposed to preach salvation and prepare the way for the Lord to come. So therefore, when you read Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, you will see John working exactly in that office doing that. When you read Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, you will see that John the Baptist was truly preparing the way for the Messiah to come. So, under the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, being called a prophet was more like being called a herald or an evangelist. Your job was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And it's a continuation of 
the Old Testament prophets, that's from Isaiah to Malachi, because all that they did, the foretelling and the prophetic utterances they gave concerning Christ was just to prepare the way so that people will be prepared to receive it. And that's what John the Baptist did. And that's why um, Jesus um, credited John the Baptist that he's a great prophet. He said, of all, the, of all women, there is none greater than John the Baptist because he was sent to prepare the way. So that's one of the Athens. The next function you will see under the New Testament when it comes to the office of a prophet is that they serve as part of church leadership. If I, let me establish to um, 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 your notice today that a prophet doesn't pastor a church. A prophet can be part of church leadership. A prophet doesn't pastor a church. And when you read Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, you will see the governing council of the church. They were made of prophets and then teachers. And then they inquired of the Lord, prayed, and then God said unto them, separate them, um, Paul and Barnabas to go and do the work of God. You know, so you see the governing council there, part of them were teachers and then prophets. So, you know, you, you don't, you don't pastor a church when God hasn't called you in that field. A prophet is supposed to be part of church leadership. Amen. That's why sometimes when prophets pastor churches, it, it, it doesn't really go well because um, it takes more than charisma. It takes more than the um, ebullience of a gift to pastor a church. Amen. Um, the third thing that you also have to note is that Jesus was also called a prophet. When you read Matthew chapter 21, verse 11, and John chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus was called a prophet. In fact, there are many instances where he was called a prophet. Amen. Uh, prophets also flow in the gift of exhortation. How many of you do remember that when we were outlining the gifts, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, one of the seven gifts that were mentioned there is exhortation. And when we talk about exhortation, what's that? Exhortation is a combination of teaching, admonition, and consolation. It, it also means encouragement. Prophets really flow in the gift of exhortation. So to exhort is actually a gift. This is different from motivation, you know, whipping up people's appetite to do something. We are talking about something way different than motivating people. It's called exhorting. And when you read Acts chapter 15, verse 32, you realize that Judas and Silas were prophets and, and they encouraged the church. That's they were flowing in the gifts of exhortation. So people who normally stand in the office of a prophet also have the ability to exhort. They are able to encourage, they are able to teach, they are able to admonish. And that's why when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that whole chapter that talks about vocal gifts it, 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 vocal gifts and it's about tongues prophecy and interpretation of tongues and the bible says that when you prophesy you are exhorting you minister comfort you minister edification and exhortation so a prophet flows in the gift of exhortation now this is one of the, the this point that i'm about to mention is one of the main differences between a prophet under the Old Testament and a prophet under the New Testament. They confirm God's prophetic word over your life. They confirm. I wish the slide was there because I had written the confirm in caps. They confirm God's prophetic word over your life. So in the new, under the New Testament, it is inside out. 
it's not outside in. What do I mean by that? Under this new dispensation, all of us have received the Holy Spirit if you are born again. And the Bible lets us know that when the Holy Spirit is poured in the, in the last days upon all flesh, sons and daughters will prophesy, young men and women shall see visions, old men and women shall dream dreams. No, nobody shall be left out. All these groups have to mention it means that when the Holy Spirit is poured, everybody becomes prophetic one way or another. So we are able to fellowship with the Holy Spirit and hear from the Holy Spirit. Now, the job under the, the job of the prophets under the New Testament is to confirm any word or any anything that the Holy Spirit has said to you. That's one of his jobs. So if you are waiting for the Holy Spirit to operate like how he operated during the time of Elijah and Elisha, uh, you wait for a long time. And that's why people who don't take time to really develop a consistent devotional lifestyle, they become very susceptible. Under the New Testament, you, especially if you're a Christian, you have to know that you also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. But every now and then, we always need a word of confirmation. Because the Bible says that by the mouth of two or three, every word is established. Sometimes you need that establishment of a word that you have received in your personal moments by a prophet so that you will be fully convicted on perhaps maybe the next steps to take. And a typical example is in Acts chapter 21, verse 10 to 11. The Bible lets us know that Paul had received a message from the Lord that he was to travel to Jerusalem and go and suffer. That was, that was it. But, you know, the people didn't want him to go. The people that were surrounding him, I think, I think it's Ephesus, they didn't want him to go. So, you know, they tried everything to make him stay. Then the Bible lets us know that a prophet came on the scene called Agabus. Very interesting man. He took Paul's belt and bound himself. And he said that to whom this belt belongs to, the Holy Spirit is letting me know that he will suffer much affliction and that was it it was settled so paul already had a word in his spirit the prophet's job was just to confirm what the holy spirit had told paul and then he left so that's one of the major differences between a prophet under the old testament and a prophet under the new under the old testament you know the holy spirit was alive the holy spirit was there but it wasn't his dispensation, so he could not be available to every vessel. So you, you sort of had to really rely on the prophet as the earpiece of God and the mouthpiece of God. But under this New Testament, the prophecy has been fulfilled and we all of us have received the Holy Spirit. And therefore, every believer has the ability to be prophetic. But every now and then, the office of the prophet is established so that when you receive a word and maybe you are not too sure about it, the Holy Spirit can send the prophet as a confirmation for you so that it will give you enough conviction to be able to obey the word or take the necessary steps that you are supposed to do. Are you understanding me? Titus chapter 1 verse 12 lets us know that prophets are also poets. When I talk about poets, what do I mean? They are divinely inspirational speakers. You know, that's a poet. A poet normally 
orchestrates or, or offers a poem out of inspiration. And so are prophets. Like when you read Titus chapter 1 verse 12, it was a prophet that was able to discern that the people in Crete, they are beasts, they are evil men, and they are liars. You know, he didn't just say that out of observation. He said that by inspiration, and Paul quoted him. So prophets are also poets. They, they speak divinely and under inspiration. A prophet is also well-vexed and grounded in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. If God has called you to a prophetic ministry and if you want to have a sustaining, everlasting prophetic ministry, you have to be seriously grounded and very vexed in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul said it. He said, if you call yourself a prophet and if you acknowledge spiritual things, you have to acknowledge the word of God or the commandments of the Lord. I paraphrase it. But anything that you will do based on your prophetic ministry has to be well-grounded and well-vexed in the word and the nature of the prophetic is such that you deal with a lot of sensational things you deal with a lot of sensational things a lot of supernatural things so if you are not very vexed in the word and if you are if you are grounded in sensationalism and emotionalism your your ministry will not last long it won't amount to a hill of beans what will really anchor your ministry is to center your desires on the word of God and not necessarily on emotions and symbolism. That's why sometimes there's so much mess. You know, sometimes people like to put too much trust in tokens, symbols, and things. And all these are true. But when they are taken out of place and when they are overstretched, then it becomes something else. Amen. So a prophet has to be well-vexed and grounded in the scriptures. Prophets alongside apostles are also the foundation of the church. Now, what do we mean when we say they are foundation of the church? They are foundation of the church because the church is built on the Bible. You understand? So the Old Testament was written by prophets. The New Testament was written by apostles. That's all that it means that they are the foundation of the church. The real foundation of the church, the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And we learned about that two weeks ago where Jesus is that I will build my church. And what was he going to build his church? He was going to build his church on the revelation knowledge that he is Lord, which Peter answered. So that's the, that's the rock of the church. That's the foundational stone of the church. But how be it when the Bible talks about uh, um, prophets and apostles being the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it is talking more about doctrine. Genesis to Malachi were written by prophets. Matthew to Revelation were written by apostles. And, uh, and aside Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of the, the church, the church is also centered and founded on the tenets and the principles of God's word. And that's why the Bible lets us know that they are the foundation of the church. They are books, they are epistles, are the foundation of the church, not them per se or the gifts per se. I hope you all understand that. Now, prophets also flow in a combination in a combination of revelation gifts and vocal gifts. Let me explain this. When we did the, the outlining of the gifts, if you do remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 11, nine gifts were mentioned there. We talked about 
the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, um, designing of spirits, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, uh, different kinds of tongues, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. And I think I've missed one more, but there are nine. Now, out of the nine, they are grouped in classes of threes. So there is something called revelation gifts. Revelation gifts is when the Holy Spirit lets you see something. Vocal gifts. Vocal gifts are the gifts that the Holy Spirit will say something through you. And then we have power gifts. Power gifts are the gifts that the Holy Spirit will do something through you. So the prophets, one who is called in the prophet, in the prophetic, when they begin to flow consistently, not every now and then, consistently, when they are flowing consistently in revelation gifts and vocal gifts, that's a sure sign. And of the nine gifts, which are the revelation gifts? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Please read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 11. You will see all the nine gifts outlined there. Word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is prophesying about a future event. Word of wisdom also has to do about giving a supernatural solution to a problem. So let me give you a typical example. When Jesus told the disciples that launch your nets into the sea for a deep catch, that was word of wisdom. He gave them a supernatural solution to a problem. That's word of wisdom. Word of wisdom also has to do about prophesying about the future. So, for example, Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 7, when there was hunger, he said, tomorrow about this time, there will be food in the land. After many years of famine, that is word of wisdom. What is word of knowledge? Word of knowledge is talking about the past and the present. So, a typical example is Jesus when he met the woman of, of, of Samaria. He said, go and call your husband. She said, um, I don't have a husband. She said, true, you have spoken when did you have you have had five four five husbands and the one you have is not even your husband. That's word of knowledge. Because Jesus talked about the past and the present. So do you understand the difference between word of wisdom and word of knowledge? Then the designing of spirits. Designing of spirits is knowing the intent and and the spirit behind a person's action. So that's revelation gifts. So when a prophet is flowing in these revelation gifts, it's a sure sign God has called him into the office of a prophet. Number two, vocal gifts. What are vocal gifts? Vocal gifts have to do with tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. So one who is called a prophet, when he flows in these six gifts consistently, it's a sure sign God has called him into the office of a prophet. Amen. So I'm not saying occasionally it's consistent, like on the go at all times. Amen. So tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. You can't tell me you, you God has called into the prophetic ministry and you don't like prayer. Prayer is one of the things you like. Prayer is one of the things you like. When God calls you into the prophetic, he has called you into a continuous, consistent lifestyle of intercession. So, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. This all makes up the vocal gifts. Then the power gifts are faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. I hope it wasn't too much for all of you.
Amen. So now let's look at the evangelist. Who is an evangelist? An evangelist is a biblical and an ecclesiastical name for a bringer of good tidings. So the, the equivalent of an evangelist was a herald, a royal herald. You know, during, during the Bible times, you know, there were, there were kings and queens and castles and all those things. There were royal messengers. They are known as heralds. And hear ye, hear ye. The king is about, the prince is about to marry. It's wonderful, you know, that, that's what they do. They go and stand in the open market square and then they broadcast, you know. Uh, in, England has a monarchy, right? So today, if there was a herald, you, you would have heard them. Hear ye, hear ye. Tomorrow, Megamaka and Presari are having an interview. Please watch it. You know, so the, some, something like that. They, they always came and do announcements, you know. They are, they are messengers. And based on that concept, that's where you get the word evangelist. Now, not everyone is called into that office, but believers are all commanded to do the work of an evangelist. So who is an evangelist in, that, in, in, in a short form? An evangelist is one who carries good news. So if we are Christians, and if we call ourselves evangelists, or so we are doing the work of an evangelist, we are supposed to carry good news. What is the good news? See, it's not just any news. The news is qualified. It's supposed to be good news. You are supposed to be a bringer of glad tidings. Amen. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. When you read it, Jesus commanded his disciples, which also includes us, that all authority has been given to him and that we should go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we should teach them to observe all these things until he comes back. So in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, you can see that evangelism involves three things. It involves discipleship, it involves teaching, and it involves baptism. Do you understand? So now, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 18, Jesus gave, an, it's the same command, but everybody had it differently. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And Jesus said that if, you be, if anyone who believes is saved, the one who doesn't believe is condemned. Then he talked about certain signs that will follow them. He said, in my name, you cast out demons, you speak with new tongues, you take up serpents and scorpions, you drink anything deadly to not help, to not Hurts you by any means, and you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then one more, I'm sorry, he says, You will take up serpents and you will take up serpents. That means you will have authority over evil spirits. So now in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 18, when you look at that scripture carefully, evangelism also involves preaching and God confirming his word with signs and wonders. Because it says when you preach, some will believe, they are saved. The ones who don't believe too, they are condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. Five signs are mentioned. In my name, you cast out demons. You will take up serpents. You will drink anything deadly to not harm you. You will speak with new tongues. And if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So in Mark 16, verse 15 to 18, 
Evangelism also involves preaching and God confirming his word with signs. And one thing you have to note was Jesus was a prominent evangelist. Even though he never called himself an evangelist, his work was purely evangelistic by nature. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 to 44. And let me read this one. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving there. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So that is evangelistic. So Jesus was an evangelist, even though he never called himself an evangelist. Now, if you look through the Bible, only one person was given the title evangelist. And I think we can learn something from him. His name is called Philip. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 21, verse 8, the Bible lets us know that they went into the house of Philip the evangelist. And if you do remember, I did quote a scripture from Acts chapter 21, where Agabus took the belt of Paul and confirmed the prophetic word. That happened in the house of Philip the evangelist. So he's the only person that is given that title. So I think it will, it will be of necessity to look at Philip the evangelist and then take some features. Acts chapter 8 verse 5 to 8. And let's read. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So from this scripture, let's look at some features of the evangelist. An evangelist's message is about Christ. That's what Philip went to preach. He preached Christ. An evangelist's message is about Christ. Your message is not about demons. Your message is not about people's sins. Your message is not about hell per se. Your message is about Christ. That is the message. The next thing that you have to know about the evangelist is that he has signs and wonders following his ministry. You can't tell me you're an evangelist and there are no signs following your ministry. It's an anomaly. An evangelist has signs and wonders following his ministry. You know, as I was preparing this, I think I was thinking of one of the greatest evangelists I have ever seen in my lifetime. And he is called Reverend Amwako. And I happen to grow up in his ministry. Joel grew up under his ministry. Encourage our Chris also grew up under his ministry. So, man, uh, I, 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 I wish he could have been alive for long so that people would have really known the power, um, the magnitude of what God used him to do. Because uh, honestly, uh, after him, there are quite some great evangelists, but I'll rank him as one of the best out there. And I really thank God that I had the opportunity to be privy to, to his ministry and what God really used him to do mightily. An evangelist has signs and wonders following his ministry. That's, that's, that's one of the great signs. And, and mind you, these things happen 
not because of you. These things happen because of your office. So the evangelist will have signs and wonders following his ministry, not because of the person per se, it's because of the gifts. That's what you have to understand. Evangelists are spiritual thermostats. What do you use a thermostat for? Use a thermostat to change the temperature of a room, adjust the temperature of a room that you may like. That's an evangelist. When Philip went down to Samaria, it was a place steeped in sorcery. Philip was able to change the atmosphere by preaching Christ, by healing the sick, by casting out demons, and the Bible lets us know there was great joy in the city. Evangelists by nature, when they step into a place, when they step into a city, when they step into a country, they are able to change the atmosphere. They are what we call spiritual thermostats. It doesn't happen with all the gifts, but that is one strong feature. Even Jesus, one of his strong evangelistic um, 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 anointings that we saw upon his life was when he went to a place called Gadara in Mark chapter 5. There was a man there who was in torment, who had taken the region by storm. The Bible said nobody could pass them. Everybody was afraid of him. He was cutting himself with stones. Chains could not bind him. When Jesus stepped foot there, the demons started to scream aloud. And then he cast out the demons. And then the demons went into a head of swine. And the man was free. He changed the atmosphere. But for him to change the atmosphere, someone had to lose his business. So they sacked Jesus. And I was like, my friend, you have to go. You can't be coming here and be destroying my pig farm business. Amen. So that was it. But evangelists, they are thermostats. They change the atmosphere of a place. One thing about an an evangelist is that he's also well-schooled in the word and can teach. When you read Acts chapter 8, verse 6 to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 38, you see that about the same Philip the evangelist. The Bible lets us know that he met an Ethiopian eunuch and he was reading a scripture from Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip saw the Ethiopian eunuch reading and he asked him, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I understand if someone doesn't teach me? So, Philip used that opportunity to use Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 to witness to him and he gave his life to Christ. Sometimes I ask myself, wow, can we use Isaiah chapter 53 to do witnessing? This guy used Isaiah chapter 53 to do witnessing and then gain the soul. And the Bible lets us know that when they reached the place, this Ethiopian Nox said, I want to be baptized. He, pre- he preached to him a powerful message and about baptism and everything. And then he got baptized. So an evangelist is also well-schooled and can teach the word. So we, we saw Philip preaching in Samaria. And then we saw him teaching the Ethiopian eunuch. But you can't teach if you are not schooled and grounded in the word. Amen. Most evangelists experience supernatural occurrences. So it's a very common thing because... It's their gifts. They experience supernatural occurrences. Now, when you read that same Acts chapter 8, verse 39 to 40, the Bible lets us know that Philip was caught up. He didn't have a car. He just got caught up. That's it. And by the time he realized he was in Azotus, 
How did he get there? He wasn't driving, nothing. Supernatural experiences, supernatural occurrences. So that's also a sure sign of the evangelistic ministry. I don't know if you've taken your time to listen to evangelist preach. They have a lot of supernatural testimonies, occurrences. They are, they are just amazing. Why? Because, like I said, it's not about the person per se. It is about the office. The office warrants that. It's a feature of the office. Amen. An evangelist serves in a local church and is part of church leadership. Acts chapter 6 verse 3 to 4. I've seen many evangelists who don't go to church. Many. And they just say, I'm an evangelist. (laughs) Come and preach for me. I'm doing conference. I will never preach for an evangelist who doesn't have a church. I remember one time I went and met an evangelist. He wanted me to preach for for him. I, I just asked him only one question. What is the name of your church? That's the only question that kept coming up. And, you know, he's trying to dodge. I said, look, the Lord says I'll build my church. He didn't say I'll build my conference. And that was it. I never really took the invitation. Amen. But if you're an evangelist, you are supposed to be accountable to a pastor and serve in a local church. This Philip, he was accountable to Peter. He served in a local church. In fact, Peter actually chose him and made him a deacon and laid hands on him and prayed for him to serve in a local church. So an evangelist serves in a local church. You know, the nature of an evangelist job is missionary. So they move from place to place preaching the gospel. That, 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 is, that is the office. But the fact that you are moving from place to place, holding conferences, revivals, and crusades, doesn't mean you shouldn't go to church on Sunday. You should serve in a local church and you should have a pastor you are accountable to. Otherwise, your evangelistic ministry will be very short-lived. So personally, I don't believe in anybody. That's my my personal opinion. I don't believe in anybody who calls himself an evangelist. And you can't tell me who is your pastor and where your church is and where you serve. I will not really take you serious. Amen. So that's just me. Amen. Because it's scriptural. An evangelist is accountable to a pastor. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 to 6. Peter, who was the pastor, was able to lay hands on Philip and instruct him. An evangelist is accountable. The nature of an evangelist's job, like I said, is missionary. Amen. And people's skills are required in evangelism. John chapter 4 verse 1 to 18. How do you talk to a woman who is so stigmatized? And probably she has hashtags. Probably. Because if she was living in our current climate, she might have a lot of hashtags. Hashtag serial marriage woman. Hashtag like weddings too much. Hashtag serial divorcee. Hashtag like a Kardashian. You know, like all these sort of things. I'm, I'm sorry if I mention Kardashian. Don't get me wrong, amen. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, 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 that's, that's the truth. How do you talk to somebody who society and everybody has stigmatized? People's skills are very necessary and are essential in evangelism. And that's what Jesus did. One of the things that we have to know about Jesus is that he had emotional intelligence. He knew how to relate to all kinds of people, including those who were stigmatized. We did John last year. Look at the woman who was caught in the very act. 
You see the skill in which Jesus handled the situation and how he related to the person. People's skills are essential. If God has called you to be an evangelist, it's not just about preaching. Sometimes you need to survey the place, survey the people, and know how to have people's skills, interact with them, and then pull your message across. That is very necessary. You don't just stand and you just start preaching. You know, it's not just about the preaching, but you have to preach to have results. Amen. The evangelist flows in the nine gifts of the spirits. They flow in word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Because an, an evangelist really needs the revelation gifts to be able to know his circle, where he's supposed to minister, what God is supposed to tell him to do. An evangelist flows in the vocal gifts. One of the things that the evangelist is supposed to do is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't speak in tongues, how will you baptize people in the Holy Spirit? And when an evangelist is preaching, it is tantamount to prophecy because he is speaking the sure word of prophecy, which is the word of God. And an evangelist also flows in the power gifts, gifts of healing, working of miracles, and faith. Evangelists have great faith. That's one of their callings. They have great faith. Great faith to do the supernatural, even sometimes more than some of the ministry officers, because that is a feature of the gift. When God has called you into that office, that is what happens. Amen. Now, one thing we have to know, not every believer who evangelizes will stand in the office of an evangelist. And that's why Paul's command to Timothy is very important. There is something called doing the work of an evangelist and standing in the office of an evangelist. All of us have been called to do the work of an evangelist. Not all of us will stand in the office of an evangelist. Time is up. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for sharing the lights on your gifts that you've given to be a blessing to the local church. In Jesus' name, amen.